Welcome to Sex Positive Families, where parents, caring adults, and advocates come to grow and learn about sexual health in a supportive community. I'm your host and the founder of SPF, Melissa Carnegie. Join me and special guests as we dive into the art of sex positive parenting. Together, we will shake the shame and trash the taboos to strengthen sexual health talks with the children in our lives. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, families. Recently, while on Instagram, I came across a post that spoke about the myths of monogamy and offered an alternative of modern monogamy. I was so intrigued by the points made that I shared it on the SPF Instagram, and it very quickly got a lot of engagement from our community. Many folks seem to connect to or be intrigued by the comparison of these two constructs, so I thought, we need to get the author of this post onto the podcast. Well, that author is Adam Marr of Moon Tower Counseling. Adam is a licensed therapist in private practice in the Austin, Texas area who works a great deal with couples and individuals around relationships, especially folks within the LGBTQ community. Adam believes that therapy is a place to explore strengths and challenges with acceptance and an open mind, and Adam's work focuses on empowering clients to thrive in a world that is not always understanding. So this episode explores the myths of monogamy and offers insight into modern monogamy. Let's check it out. I am very excited to have the SPF community uh, hearing your perspective, and especially on this topic of exploring the concepts of monogamy versus modern monogamy, because some of this relationship stuff sometimes can make people's heads spin. It can get a little too close to home. But before we get into that, I'd love to hear and have you share what your journey has been to the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I kind of grew up in a chaotic family with with parents who uh, didn't get along. Mix that with like being a young queer kid, I realized that like I needed some support. So I ended up uh, going to counseling when I was an undergrad. And in counseling, that's how I came out. So I like realized like the power of therapy there. Mm. Uh, and that, that really like jump started my journey into how uh, powerful talking about things could be. So I, I went to St. Edwards and I studied marriage and family therapy and in that I realized like how much we as people don't know about relationships mm. uh, and I, I would look at my parents relationships and realize like how how much they hurt each other and how there's just a lack of understanding of things mm. um, so a big piece of me then said hey I want to help people make relationships work uh, so in 2013 I opened up my own practice and in doing so and starting to get couples in I had a lot of people who would come in and they would talk about things that were relationship issues and oftentimes, you know, what they were bringing to me were being hurt and let down by some myths of monogamy. And working with people in that, understanding like, oh, you've been sold that this is what this ought to be like. And, you know, that's just not reality. And helping people start to unpack why that myth existed for them um, and to, to accept their partner as is. Uh, was a big piece of, of me putting together this post. And so what I like is this notion of modern monogamy, which means like a lot more communication, a lot more knowing yourself, and a lot more uh, radical authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it was kind of a twisty, turny journey to get there. <laughs> well, but it's, I mean, it's great work that you're doing, and it's, it's so needed uh, because, again, this is, 
that connection, the need for human connection that we have, and that desire to partner ourselves with people is is universal. And so trying to figure out, well, how do you make this work? And right, like our previous generations, this has evolved and looked differently, right? Like what are some factors that have made modern monogamy the, the new thing? Yeah, so like my grandparents, uh, they were together for 60 some years before my grandfather passed. Mm. And you know, like they grew up in the same town. So there was kind of like, he can date my grandmother or in like rural Pennsylvania date like this other woman. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a lack of choices, right? Um, Nowadays you can get on an app and you can find potential mates all over the place. And that, that actually can create a troubling situation for people. So, you know, one of the myths of monogamy is that there's one person out there for you. And so if there's one person out there for you, you get on Tinder, you start chatting someone up, and anything that doesn't align with what you think love ought to be or a partner should be um, automatically knocks that person out. So all of a sudden, like because of that myth, there's this notion that any imperfection in a potential mate <laughs> makes them no longer a valid candidate. Uh, you just move on to the next person. What's troubling about that to me is it creates this uh, situation where people are really objectified. So mm-hmm. this is where we get things like ghosting, right? So yeah. someone talks to someone, goes on a date, something seems a little bit off, but they don't just say, hey, you know, let's talk about this thing. They just stop talking to that person altogether. Because, you know, there's a seemingly endless sea of people that you can you can just swipe on. So it's, it's been interesting to see how technology has played a part in shifting what monogamy means. And the reality is, the myth of monogamy has hurt a lot of people in their lifetime. One of the, the myths that is out there is that your partner not only, like, knows what you need, but gives it to you, like, at all times. Oh, boy. And it's like a big ask, right? Right. Like, I'm a very extroverted person, and I love my husband to death, and he's an introvert. Like, he is never going to be an extrovert. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're partnering well, if you're making a life with someone, you typically pick someone who compliments you. Mm -hmm. So if if you're both extroverts, you can easily, like, have too much time out of the house and never have any kind of downtime alone together. Mm. But what's happening for people in this, this myth that, if, if the partner is the right one for you, then they must then also fulfill your needs. Then if you don't fulfill my needs, then something's wrong with one of us or this relationship. And it puts people then, and this is how they come into my office, this person's broken, right? Mm-hmm. And they sometimes want me to tell them who's right and who's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As if there's only like one way to like live your life on this earth. Mm-hmm. Now, so it's breaking it down for them that there's actually multiple ways to be. And if you want to make a partnership work, modern monogamy is about understanding, one, who your partner is um, and finding value in that and recognizing that oftentimes some of our uh, challenges that make us difficult to love are a part of some of our strengths. You know, like let's say you're really assertive. And maybe that's helpful in business. Maybe that's helpful in like getting a table at a crowded restaurant. But that assertiveness can also come across as bossy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's the ability as a partner to go, oh, this is this is just a continuum of one of your attributes. And sometimes it, it is challenging. So when I work with people to do, and this is what I teach within modern monogamy, is there are a lot of ways to have your needs met. 
So, you know, can you meet it yourself? Mm-hmm. If you're looking for someone to, to advocate for you, you want someone to stand up for you, what if that person was you? Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes people don't have that in them or don't have that skills. And, and let's be real, we, we live in a complex society that puts an undue burden on, like, people of color, right. uh, queer people. So sometimes you just don't even get to have a voice. I'm glad you brought um, that up. Then it's like, cool, do I have friends? Do I have family? Do I have maybe, like let's say I'm really craving connection and my partner maybe just doesn't have it in them that day, right? Maybe they had a really tough day of work. Um, and so their resources are low. Well, guess what? Like I can always like hang out with my dog and my, my dog will love any attention I give my, my puppy. So it's this notion that like people, places, things, there's like an endless amount of ways to get our needs met and to open that up, to take the pressure off of a partner. Because if we expect our partner to do that, to meet all of our needs, we're going to be really let down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people don't tell you that. No. And then, so then what ends up happening is, um, let's say, like, if one person's introvert, the other person's extrovert, that person who is introverted maybe, like, begrudgingly says, sure, you, you said, if I don't go out with you more, then I don't really care about you. And then they start to maybe feel resentful, right? That I, I don't get to have downtime. I have to come out and do this thing that isn't really for me and isn't really benefiting me as an individual. Just so that you can feel that I care for you. Well, see, and it seems that, so this puts the mirror onto both partners, folks needing to take have some accountability and take some responsibility and maybe do some work that sometimes people may try to avoid by projecting onto a partner these certain expectations and that that doesn't sound like that maybe is the most comfortable place for everyone that this isn't about the other person always this there's some stuff that i may need to rework or adjust i have to understand what it means to to love me um and there's there's a lot of times in therapy when i'm working with clients where i i will have them think about how this need might be related to something that's in their past Mm. so oftentimes these these kind of narratives that people are writing are bigger than a partner yeah and once they start understanding that then it's like oh okay (laughs) i'm trying to have a corrective experience with you from when i was like eight and that's not your job you're not the person that hurt me when i was eight thank goodness for therapists and therapeutic spaces because there's there's so much right there's so much from our pasts and our journeys and our upbringing that get swept under the rug or you know we get pushed aside because we're in a survive and thrive mode and then they present themselves and they rear themselves in these different ways and certainly in relation to other people and within our relationships and it's tricky and i think people don't always want to go there Right. right so a lot of people experience trauma and i can't tell you how many people come into my office and would rather have borderline personality disorder (laughs) like be considered schizophrenic than someone who's experienced trauma and so that that is how difficult it can be for people to go into those tough spaces that they they would rather have a diagnosis uh, than than say i was a victim of something that was really painful or experienced something that was really tragic so it's a it's a challenging thing to get to get couples to see that. Well, Melissa, one of the other myths that I think is really important to talk about when it comes to monogamy is this notion that monogamy is for everyone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I surprisingly work with a lot of people who come in who, you know, when when we talk about 
cool. How did you choose this as a relationship structure? You know, there a lot of them are just like, well, it was just the default. Right. And <laughs> helping people understand that there's actually a lot of ways to make relationships work, and that even that the people aren't even don't even have to be in a relationship, right? That there's this expectation that not only do we not be single, but we couple up and it be monogamous. Yeah. Um, so there's oftentimes where I have to help folks and, and couples come in to suss that out and go, is this even really what you both want? How did you decide this is the relationship for you? So how, what are the differences between the modern monogamy and open relationships or polyamory? Yeah. So I think of modern monogamy then is really um, slowing down and talking about some of the needs that you're going to have. and. It can be really uh, challenging because it, it requires a lot of vulnerability. Mm. So a common issue that people come into therapy for is uh, in, in a relationship is they're not having sex. And so you know people don't necessarily know how to talk about the sex that they want to have. They might not even know what they want or what they turn themselves on for. So what I find is you know within modern monogamy, I'm going to help people get really good at understanding their sexuality and sharing that with the person that they want to share it with. And that is a big difference between that and like this myth that if you're the one for me, then you just know how to have sex with me. (laughs) As if our bodies don't change over time, as if like our sexual needs don't like change over time. Um, So it's a big shift. Um, and it, it's a really tough thing for people. I can't tell me folks are secretly having solo sex in their relationship. Yeah. So being able to say, hey, I feel turned on. Where are you at? And if a partner is, cool, what, what, what would you like to explore? What, what might we do together? Or if you don't turn on, if you're not turned on right now, then I'm going to enjoy some solo sex and I'm going to have some private time. Or, you know, you're welcome to watch that, whatever it's going to be. But it's that, that ability to really own your sexuality in that way. So that's different than saying, hey, I have maybe this this desire for, for sex. And let's say it's like a fetish or a kink and a partner might not really be into it. And they say, hey, you know what? You can go explore that with this group of people over here who are really into that. So that's more of like an open relationship built around eroticism uh, all the way to polyamory right that you could have like a loving connecting relationship with another person as well as with your partner and ultimately i would say people get to define monogamy for themselves Mm. some people would say me and my partner uh sometimes invite a third person into our relationship uh for some fun but we're still monogamous and I think, cool, because yeah. that, that's what monogamy means to, to them. It's a very modern form of monogamy. But some people, other people might say, oh, that's not monogamy. Then, like, what, what do you do? And, you know, they kind of go down their own rabbit hole of fears. So I, I think it really, modern monogamy is really, to me, about owning the relationship that you want to have, being able to say, this is, this is meaningful to me. Where are you at? And how do we now keep our bond as we explore all the things that are out there. See, and that that to me sounds really empowering and it sounds really freeing. Mm -hmm. I'm curious though, too, if there, you know, there are folks who are seeking certain levels of certainty and so that this could be potentially threatening or unsettling. Sure. So the myth of monogamy gives you the the false sense of security. So it ends up happening for people, right? Like we're all a little bit aware of our own stuff, a little neurotic, a little like, am I lovable? And then it's almost like you trick a person into picking you. 
<laughs> so therefore you're you're really lovable those fears aren't necessary anymore because this person chose you so you you your worst fear that you're unlovable is no longer something to, to be afraid of but what the reality is is people are people right like you, you you can pick a partner and still find other things attractive like one of the hardest things about being human is that we are constantly aware of what we give up when even if we love what we pick right like i love pizza to death melissa oh i have a love of <laughs> pizza but i also love hamburgers mm. so so for lunch today there's a part of me that will be very happy and there's a part of me that will be like and i can't have hamburgers now mm. right that that is like the human dilemma so this ability of of people to to go cool i realize that like i want to feel secure but i also want some adventure in this I want both of these things. Um, and some people really kind of move towards that security piece and want to feel like if you pick me, if I control you, if you only have eyes for me, then I'm still okay. Mm. Uh, and that that's really challenging because that cages people in. And in reality, when I do, uh, I do a lot of work with folks who have uh, been through a betrayal. So they've been monogamous and one person breaks that relationship contract. Right, that's so common. It's, it's not the necessarily the act that, that people do, right? It's not that someone had sex. It's more that, oh gosh, you've now challenged my security. Mm. Am I really special? And it creates, uh, in a sense, this really uh, an existential dilemma for the partner who's been betrayed because they're going, oh gosh, am I, am I really not as good as I thought? Right. Am I really terrible? And they're, they're left in some pretty crummy places. So it, it's tricky because I think it's a trade-off. It's a sense of security people want to, to hold on to. And so my, my husband and I, we're open in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I give this talk, like I talk about all sorts of relationship structures anytime I can. And I often get the question from people who are curious about non-exclusive relationships. They're like, but what if you meet someone and you like them more than your partner? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm, are you then like alluding to that I would have to leave my partner? Because you're talking about monogamy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 is like a trait of, of monogamy and it's part of the myth too right if you have any feelings for anyone else other than your partner then that challenges that security that challenges that relationship because that person is mine and i'm that, theirs but the, the reality is is like we have like you probably have lots of friends right, right and just exactly. because you're friends with one person doesn't mean you're not friends with another person it doesn't challenge the friendship that you hold it goes oh i have like you know, a deep level friendship with this person and this person meets some other needs and that's why we're close. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, so it's moving out of this idea that because you're picked, you're special. No, you're special because you're a human on this earth. Like <laughs> you're, uh, that's just given you're special. Purple <laughs> that like any of us exist in this like chaotic world. So the more you can own that, then you take the pressure off your partner to make you feel special. I love that. And I see the value too in allowing for that type of an understanding within your children. And as they seek to explore relationships and with others and grow into that, I personally feel as a parent and just speaking for myself, a lot more empowerment can exist and confidence can exist and less stress (laughs) in life can exist for my child if they're aware that that they don't have to operate in within what can feel like the rigid and unrealistic constructs of monogamy. Yeah. And 
lot of in this too, is that so people might be in a monogamous relationship and have feelings of attraction towards another person, right? So those could be emotional, those could be mental, those could be physical, those could just be like on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have the tools to talk about that with their partner, if they don't use that as a healthy way to say, hey, I realize there's a part of me that really longs for, you know, feeling I can have this intellectual conversation about this topic or what have you. And I, I feel closeness to this person because of it. If that relationship, if that conversation uh, doesn't happen because of the fear of challenging monogamy, that's actually setting people up yeah. to then either be resentful or step out of the relationship uh, in a way that hurts the other person. This is good. It's good to acknowledge what you are attracted to because then if you want to be, if you want to be just connected to one person, you can use that to say, hey, I realize I want more of this in my life. I want to feel this. What do you suggest for folks either that you know that are in a relationship and you know they're hearing all of this they've been feeling you know some feelings that don't feel quite right within the monogamous schema that they've been operating what do you suggest in terms of how do they approach this and and bring this up with their partner i'm a big advocate that if you if you have like a uh kind of a foundation of friendship in your relationship right so there's like contempt if you hate each other mm-hmm. that's a whole different route we have to go we have to first build appreciation we can't talk about this level of stuff if you think that person's waking up each day to like ruin you right mm-hmm. I like that. Um, yes. <laughs> if, if there's a foundation of friendship then i i really encourage people to look at like hey we are in this together. It, we are a team. It's you and me versus the challenges that we face as a relationship. So then it's time to go, hey, partner, like I, I, I need to have a conversation with you about something that can be really tough. And um, the reason I want to have it is because I want to join you. I want to be closer to you. But I also want to be vulnerable and talk about something. And then there's some, some things, some key parts to that. One, invite your partner to have that conversation when they're at their best. So oftentimes stuff comes up for people and they want to talk about it maybe right away or like when it's best for them as an individual and don't consider that like their partner's having their own life. So it's like, oh, if I want you to be the best listener that you can be, I'm going to invite you when you're kind of at your best. I'm not going to invite you at the end of your workday when you've given your resources to everyone else necessarily, right? And then when you res- when you ask someone to be a part of that conversation, you're already showing that they are considered, that they're respected. And so though the other person might have some feelings of uh, security challenged, it is easier than to say, hey, you know, I'm in this with you. I'm just aware. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I, I want to continue to be this in, in this with you. Um, but it's important for me to, to explore what's going on here. And really, you know, Melissa, the, the conundrum that happens for couples is that if you pick a good partner, in, in some ways you create a level of safety and security that allows for people to take a healthy risk. And then that healthy risk can challenge the relationship that you've created. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting dynamic for people who come in and they say, I really love this person, but now I feel like things are, are different. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you've probably grown some. Mm-hmm. Like this person's helped you challenge yourself. When I started my relationship with my husband, I didn't consider myself to be genderqueer, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. until a couple of years of being with him, and then I got comfortable enough with myself to go, oh, Adam, you have a lot of femininity in you. What is that about? Oh, you know what? That's something to be honored and cherished. You're genderqueer. <laughs> you're, you're not just a dude. And that was really powerful. And then, you know, my husband had to, like, shift some of his understandings of who I am to make space for me to be this new person in our relationship. 
That's beautiful. And you, you posted recently about that. You made a comment about that as an example and also a major job transition as, as examples. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel he's speaking to me because I too had the, that, those experiences recently uh, and, and now identify as genderqueer myself. I was saying welcome to the club. Oh, I know. Thank you. I, I, I just, it's, just akin to this monogamy construct, you know, it's realizing that there are some messages that I've received and picked up on, you know, in, in my upbringing, and that I thought that this is what it meant to be a good this and a good that, and the right this and the right that. But now that I'm an adult and growing and have had and or continue to have my own journey, this isn't feeling right. It's not feeling right. It's not feeling a fit. And I'm excited that, you know, we have some words, you know, and some platforms that can help us to identify what what actually does feel right. And we're not feeling completely alone or isolated in that. And I see that same thing, you know, with, with monogamy and just kind of people coming to change within themselves and within their relationships. I, I think it really starts with that radical authenticity. Mm. So many people are so scared of what they really want. Yes. So yeah. I do a lot of sex therapy, Melissa, and now how people come in and it's their first time talking about any other sexual needs. And these are people like in their thirties and forties sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. They never openly said to anyone, Hey, I turned myself on for this. Right. And it is a really powerful experience to, to, to be the person that people can do that with. Um, and sometimes they're so they're so petrified. So part of what ends up happening in relationships, and this is pulling in from Mester Perel, mm-hmm. is that like, you know, in a relationship you have like your romantic love and your erotic love. And so romantic love is about knowing and equity and safety and being connected and feeling like a team, right? Mm-hmm. And then your erotic love, that's more about like a little bit of gap, a little bit of mystery. And I I think part of our eroticism is made up of pieces of our exiled self. Mm. Some pieces of us that we've been told, outright told, shouldn't see the light of day, right? I use myself as an example a lot of times because it's just easier and I'm a little bit of a narcissist, so it makes it easier for me. So like I was the baby of my family, right? And so I got a lot of attention. I got to like be the funny one. And that was a really great feeling. But as I grow up, I realized I can't always be the center of attention. And so I learned how to like give like the spotlight to other people. But then there's some part of me that still wants to have that. And isn't like eroticism a great place for that to surface? Mm-hmm. So it's what what becomes challenging for people in a relationship, a monogamous relationship, is they might start to recognize, oh, I really want to explore this in eroticism, but can I show this exiled piece of myself, this part of myself I've been told to hide to this person that like I share everything with? We're still going to be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that is really challenging for people. And so this is, this is to me part of that modern monogamy piece that you can understand that people are complex, right? So maybe by like the light of day, we advocate for certain things. Like I do a lot of social justice work, mm-hmm. a lot of folks who, who are in that field, and they advocate for people to have a sense of pride and love themselves. And there are terms that they would never use by the light of day. 
But in their eroticism, they might want to be called that because it's a way to process and deal with this like exile piece of themselves. Right, right. <laughs> so it's it's a complex concept. But once you break it down, that like oh, this this gives you an arena to love your whole self. And how great if you could do that with this person you've made a life with. That that takes a, a real humbling conversation. Well, and and I definitely can see the value and the need for having the therapeutic space to be able to do that because this appears to draw upon a lot of skills that we probably need to learn a lot of us you know that we weren't taught in terms of you know some different communication skills and listening skills and affirming skills and and all the while this information could you know mean some major changes to what we thought was you know within that relationship and so how do we deal with that how do we accept that? What do we do with that? It's, it's so much understanding uh, that, like, we are, as individuals, we're all writing our own narrative. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, we make ourselves the protagonist. <laughs> and that means that, like, our partners can either be kind of a sidekick or mm-hmm. kind of, like, low-key a challenge or, at worst, a villain. Mm-hmm. And being able to slow that down and go, cool, how are you writing your own narrative? And how, how, does that, how does that marry with mine? How do we now suss this out to understand both of our perspectives as we try to continue having a relationship together? Uh, this idea that like your partner must fulfill all your needs, like we have a whole village open to us. Mm-hmm. And to expect one person to be a village Oh my goodness! I'm like you're gonna you're gonna be let down if you do that. Can you imagine like asking someone to be everything for you, like your cook, your confidant? Your, but that your happens. Like, when we think yeah. about like like marriage, uh, folks that 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 go that route of marriage, like vows, actual commitments, and if there's a religious component there, then there things are said you know in in the presence of god and with bibles involved and i mean so it's like why would anyone think otherwise because that for a lot of people is laced into their culture and into their values that this is my one and only my everything and there and people then attach their identity to that to being someone else's everything yeah i mean how, how this is part of the reason it's so devastating when when right. there's a for some people because then it's just my whole identity is is being challenged and what does that mean about me now yeah. how do I have a, a self so I, I teach folks and in, in, who are monogamous um, you're gonna have to have three selves right so you have your individual self that has to have uh, be taken care of and have time committed to it you have your relationship self so you have to be lovers you have to be companions you have to, to be partners and then you have a family, you have your family self. You have your role as a parent or a caregiver, um, and, and that's important too. And you have to balance all three of those. And if any of those are out of whack, it's going to make the other ones uh, have some issues pop up. So that's where people can feel resentful. That's where people can like become like a helicopter parent, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not having a good, a, a good connection with my partner, so I'm really going to pour into my kid. Yep. That kid's like, uh, can I get some space to breathe? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to be an individual here. It's tricky. And we live in a world that teaches, gosh, especially women, right? Like if you're a mother, this is what it means to be a mother. Mm -hmm. Like you have to give up everything. And you, if you have a self outside of your family or your kids, then you're somehow selfish. And I'm like, yeah, you gotta be selfish. (laughs) 
you have to have a self outside of your kids or there's going to be a part of you that could be resentful of those kids. I mean, like, to me, here's where it gets uh, tricky. Like, your name changes when you have a child. <laughs> you went from, like, Melissa to mom. Yeah, yeah. But you're still Melissa. Yeah, so yeah. there's a part of that that has to be recognized and taken care of. And that actually makes you a better mom. It makes you a better partner. And it makes you a better Melissa. At the end of the day, there's so many times where I tell couples, like, look, like, if you're good enough about 80% of the time for your partner, if you're doing well. The 80-20. <laughs> yeah. Like, that 20%, like, you'll have enough in the relationship bank that you can forget milk, and it's not the end of the world. Right. right? <laughs> What's up happening is if people aren't, aren't, checking in, if they aren't kind of updating their snapshot of who their partner is, if they don't talk about, like, right, like, hey, I'm, I'm going through this thing as I'm transitioning from this role of mom to who am I now, mm-hmm. then, then that's where there's miscommunication. And, you know, over time, that's where things can get really tricky. Yeah. Um, that relationship bank can get really low. And then once, once the relationship bank is low, that's where any sort of perceived slight can set off an argument or a fight or a uh, questioning like do you really love me well this has been such a valuable conversation um and i know we could we could talk for hours about it uh, but we are going to have to wrap up so i want to ask you just a few questions that'll help folks connect further with you um first what does sex positivity mean to you and how does it show up in your life or in your work yeah. So to me, sex positivity means uh, not allowing shame to be a part of sexuality. So for yourself as an individual and taking the shame out uh, for other people, uh, it's really easy to go, oh, well, I know me and what I like and, and this is good. And then to yuck other people's yum. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and if we, if we replace that with empathy and compassion and a desire to understand then all of a sudden the diversity of sexuality makes a lot more sense. There's a lot more connection within it all. So to me, sex positivity means like being dedicated to thinking about sex in a way that is compassionate and understanding uh, to really get the whole piece of it all. So well said. And so what projects do you have that you're looking forward to for 2018. This May, I'm going to be presenting at the Contemporary Relationships Conference in Houston. Awesome. So I'm doing a three-hour workshop helping people navigate their sexual constellations. And we're going to talk about sex. Uh, so that's going to be a really great opportunity. And then I am a co-host for Sex Nerd Trivia. So we have been growing and growing and growing that. So Sex Nerd Trivia, we're on Facebook and Instagram under that name. And then I have my own practice, so I'm Moon Tower Counseling. And uh, one of the things I really love about having my own practice is uh, being able to have couples come in and just have a real conversation and, and get, get to a, a point where they can get more out of their relationship than they ever imagined. And those are the three like, big things that I have going on this year. That's awesome. And I can definitely attest to the awesomeness of Sex Nerd Trivia and Bingo Bango. Um, so if anyone is ever in the Austin area, I know we have a diverse uh, audience of listeners, but anyone that's ever in the Austin area, do you ever? Do you all ever travel? We've actually been talking about that, uh, talking about how to connect it to other uh, organizations and things like that. So yes. we definitely have the ability to. Uh, we're just looking at what that would look like logistically. Yeah, no, it's awesome. It's such a fun experience. And 
you learn so much. You all do an amazing job at identifying some great facts and trivia. So you really walk away having learned something. I don't care how deep in the field you've been, you're going to walk away. <laughs> when I like pull out some of these questions and they like shock me and I'm like, oh, I'm still <laughs> right. I, I did not realize that was a thing. But, yeah. you know, everything's a thing nowadays. Uh, yeah. And there's so many nuances under this umbrella of sexual health, which again, for my parents that are listening and, you know, sometimes can feel overwhelmed. Just know that even, you know, folks that just have been rooted in the field for so long, you know, you just, you just, there's, you just can't know it all. And yeah. so it's, it's great to have resources like, you know, sex nerd trivia. Uh, events um, and then you speaking at conferences and things like that that can allow people to learn and go deeper in their knowledge um, and so how can folks uh, connect with you and connect with your service what's the best way to get in touch with you best is to go to my website which is moontowercounseling.com um, I also have the Instagram and Facebook for that because I'm a therapist in the modern era <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know that that's where we found this post to, to have today um, and I'm always interested in what people think and what they have going on and really creating community so it's helpful to hear from other people what they're into and what, what they're creating and how I can be supportive of that excellent so you heard it don't be shy uh, we are going to include links in the show notes and so feel free to leave comments uh, connect with Adam and his amazing services and projects that he has going on I want to thank you so much Adam this is been uh, awesome uh, and I know it's going to really help a lot of folks out there struggling with or trying to better understand monogamy in their own relationships. Oh, well, thank you for having me on, Melissa. I'm really glad that you have put this platform together and that um, like, there's a big part of me, like I, I'm going to say this because it's the queer part of me, that loves um, ha- getting to have a voice because mm-hmm. it's not often that marginalized people get to like go speak and, and bring their perspective in. Uh, so it's really meaningful to me that I get to, to be here today and be a part of this with you. Thank you. That means so much. Um, that's really at the heart of this is just, we have a lot of voices out there to elevate, right? A lot of perspectives to share. And so, yeah, that's what we're striving to do. So thank you so much for being a part of this. And we look forward to connecting with you more. If you liked this episode and podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or Google Play so more people can find us. And you can always visit us on our website at sexpositivefamilies.com. There you can shop Sex Positive swag in our online store, connect with us across our social media platforms, join our Facebook community, and learn more resources to help support sexual health in your family. Until next time. I'm Melissa Carnegie. Thank you for supporting content that strengthens sexual health talks in families.